0: Fika with Annika. The word Fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at 3 in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Annika with Fika with Annika. Thank you for tuning in. I'm sitting here with my recurring guest, Tim Lauritsen, uh, the wild man from Anza. He's known for his uh, love of nature, his love of trees and, and the native plants, and um, all of our surroundings. So uh, there we go, Tim. Take it off. <laughs> Take it away.
1: Here we are, uh, April, mid-April, and the seeds are popping on the way here this morning. Um, pine trees have been dropping seeds, and they've been popping, and it's the peak period to get them before the birds. You know, there's a feather connected to the seeds. I have uh, Coulter, Jeffrey, bristlecone, and other fir and cedars. When the seeds fall from the cone, the feather attached to them, which is the outer lining of the of the seed, helps it fall out beyond the drip edge or the furthest most edge of the branches so that the forest spreads and when the seed hits the ground of course then it becomes free range for the wildlife but what the seed will do is it will open partway and send a root down into the ground its umbilical cord for maybe as much as six inches And then it'll lift the rest of the pod, the seed pod, up into the air, maybe several inches off the ground, and still closed enough to allow the first green sprigs to absorb from the placenta lining on the inside of the seed, which then on the first warm day of sun, the seed pops and the sprigs open up. It's magical, like a wildflower. And it's a tree. And this whole process... By the way, the smallest pine seed comes from the largest pine cone. It's called the bristle... I mean, it's called the coulters and bristle cone. I, 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 <clears throat> there's such a variety and of seed and conditions in which the forests have learned how to grow. That's why meadows become forested and forested areas eventually die of age and become the meadows from the recycling of that forest. Today's policies is to remove all of that as they are here on our mountaintop, Thomas Mountain to our north. Burn it up, get rid of it, <clears throat> don't allow any room for undergrowth, too much of a fire hazard. Oops, well, I guess the wildlife will have the wild critters will have to find piles of rock or dig in if they want to remain living there. So the policy has been for too many years to let the undergrowth grow which destroys the forests but to remove everything down to mineral soil is, is Nazi uh, reaction to what the mistakes we made and we learned this Back in 1988, when Yellowstone lost a good chunk of its pine forests to fire, the policy then was let it burn. But the policy then, and the lesson that didn't get applied or learned, uh, was we can't put the fire out if the forests are dried up and overgrown and undergrowth. It just is a huge fire trap. And there's nothing man has made that can stop the fire. And during droughts since the mid-'80s and late-'80s when Yellowstone burned, um, we've had drought. So we've lost over 50% of our forests, even from the turn of the century. So in the last 19, 20 years, the bark beetle has... Uh, done its toil, and the wood burrower in the soil uh, also comes into the root and into the tree trunk and gorges itself. And our stately treasures of 150 years of growth or more, even some are 300, 400 years old, succumb in matter of days. We have chosen not to spray the Forests like was done by the U.S. government in the after the war, Second War, and into the 50s and early 60s. We sprayed the forests, but then environmentalists uh, recognized eggshells were too thin, and our eagle our eagles were not reproducing. So we stopped using that. So the history has been to fight and save our forests, but back in those days, just 60, 70 years ago, it was about uh, timber. Today it's about recreation. And so we have a whole different approach to our forests and the need for our trails. Just before our microphone came on, I was sharing the fact that in the same late years of Reagan, 1988, our trails about disappeared. And those were the first years of satellite dishes. And people stayed home instead of hiked trails. So by looking at the history and the importance of creating a raised bed for our garden and a fence to protect it, and maybe an outer area to let the wildlife know I'm sharing this territory with you. It's all about walls. I don't understand why there's such a big to-do about building walls. We all do it if we plan to to maintain and grow our dream. So <clears throat> from being a gardener early on, learning how to walk again, climbing up the handle of a shovel I yearned to go see the forests I didn't have seeds and one of my first rewards in finally healing enough to get up a trail locally to gather seeds started a whole new career although I didn't know it at the time now um I've come to realize how much more important it is to get more of us to bring back the native trees and shrubs that survive these droughts and have adapted. Um, Cedar, Incense cedars will survive a six-year flood. In our southern forest here in Southern California, We're fortunate to get a summer tropical, subtropical moisture that come in off of the southwest uh, along the southern sections and, and keeps the mountaintops alive. But we also learned in the 80s and 90s when Oregon and Washington were checkerboard stripped of their forests that the rains stopped coming and these trees are like feathers grabbing moisture out of the air and when you take the forest or you lose the forests, the droughts come and they stay longer. So it's a battle. Certainly there is some climate indications of drying and desertification of those areas that burned do not come back unless we have at least a year or two following of steady or regular rains trapped under rocks and so on. Otherwise we have to do this on our own, by ourselves as good stewardess to put back what the theme and idea of recreation in the wilderness as we build our man-made realities our suburban forests. We forget about the native trees and how we can actually encourage by reforesting more rains and shortening droughts. There's a lot of things that the human can do. Um, the natives danced, I believe that influence the vibrations and environmental conditions for the rains to come. (laughs) So, as I built a garden and learned to walk again, I could see the forested mountaintops nearby. I'm speaking of the 70s and 20 years before when I was a child and we homesteaded. And so I've watched the whole process and uh, we're in uh, dire straits. We're way behind. And now we're losing our stately treasures in our communities here in the Valley of Anza. The largest trees simply cannot survive deep roots if there's not enough moisture. And I've noticed quite a number of uh, the larger trees are dying off one at a time one day at a time and it's too easy for us to not notice
0: so are you talking about the incense cedars that are lining the highway or are you talking just in general in the environment
1: uh, both uh, the community of, or the town in the village has a number of lost stately treasures and one of the tallest biggest cedars is lost half of its double trunk right over the top of Las Casinas. Uh, Another just to its west edge of the parking lot was lost. There has to be a tagging, an official tag, mint metal, that says this is a habitat tree and cannot be cut. Uh, because of the Migratory Bird Act that protects the wildlife that have learned to live downtown when the rest of us go home at night.
0: But it's not just that, Tim. They're not getting the water that they would. I mean, this year we have water, but previous years during the drought, there wasn't enough water. Yes. And... Again, I'm talking about the trees that are lining the highway. Well, due, so,
1: due to the ongoing efforts of Caltrans and the county putting in concrete curb and gutter and more asphalt, uh, <clears throat> the nine inches of rain we got in the middle of February of this year, 2019, uh, most of that flooded off and left a lot of silt. So the the practice is is still to shed the water not capture it and uh, my whole <clears throat> local process um, at my property has uh, been able to capture quite a lot of water but a lot of silt and soils with it um, but it's gotten to the point now where more neighbors clearing land up hill And longer droughts has caused a tenfold movement of silt that has to be managed. It's fascinating to watch the native chaparrales shed and scatter these raindrops and allow the soil to absorb very quickly. If the ground is cleared for grass, the water floods off. And so that nine inches of rain we got in 20 hours in the middle of February ran off. And we've seen a lot of effects of, of that huge volume on the surface not getting absorbed. I believe much of the rains that fed the forests came from the north in the winter after Thanksgiving. Until Easter, we had what was called winter the Four Seasons after 70 years of smog production and uh, fires wildfires we now have desertification and our area is almost being referred to as high desert again when it was called high country so it's a real situation and in the last two years we lost a great wonderful chunk of our forests especially on the south faces of San Jacinto mountain so there should be and there must be an effort to replace that which we've lost or otherwise we're going to be breathing more co2 than oxygen eventually as there are less and less trees and more and more cars and and people the, the, the writing's on the wall. Um, Planting trees is a wonderful way to take the CO2 and turn it back into oxygen. And it it allows us to live a a more healthy life. Uh, Surrounded by forests allowed the hundred-year-old Indians in the Pacific Northwest to look like they were 50 years of age. But look at those Indians from the mid-1800s in the Midwest where there were no trees. They look like they were 100 years old when they were 50.
0: I never thought of the, the correlation between uh, the trees' oxygen and aging.
1: It is very real. It creates, and trees create negative ions as does the tidal action along our coastlines. So our sources of oxygen come from the edges of the oceans and that whole process. But it also comes from the trees. They are the filter that gives us more oxygen. And we've been losing. And we're falling behind the the more and more our population has doubled since 1960 globally. That's why we have hundreds of caravans coming up from the equilateral areas because the droughts have even gone as far south as the equators and these people who depend on runoff from their mountains can't farm they're out of water and they don't know what to do so they go north that's what we're experiencing and um, so we lost our trees and we're losing this delicate balance and this was all known about.
0: <clears throat> but we're, we're, are, is it human intervention, or is it the wildfires, or what is the, the major cause?
1: It's both. It's a combination of. But I think that in terms of the ability for the forests, the pine forests, to reproduce, uh, the thin barked trees don't stand a chance to uh, the pollutants in the air that weaken them. Um, and our Jeffrey pine is a thin bark and so are some of the pinion but the pinion are so full of sap even in drought years finding water trapped under rocky ridges and on north slopes like oak trees do they survive they have massive root systems pines have one taproot. and and Uh, One thing I've learned is that in transplanting these seedlings popping out then now, if you cut the tap root, the top of the tree will die, even from the first few days of life. And I've had birds come snip off the seed two inches off the ground, not open yet, and they've taken the top of the foliage, those first sprigs with it, that tree, stayed dwarf for the rest of its life. So what happens in that first week of life is so delicate. It's just like when we were born. We humans are really vulnerable for a good a year. Well it takes about a week at least in perfect conditions for pines to survive the elements. And. They stand a better chance uh, if the winds blew them up against a rock in a crevice where the waters are trapped. They prefer mineral and moisture at first almost growing without soil. But as a nurseryman, I give them the best they can. And as a gardener, I always threw my eggshells out and now I have since learned that crushed eggshells buried in the earth discourage grubs that etch the lining in the, the outer lining of the hair roots of our vegetables and they also give nutrients to provide brighter longer colors to the flowers and this whole process of spring magic is an amazing witness to the plant kingdom's success at producing a seed that's surrounded by what becomes a flower. The flower grabs the sunlight and feeds to the seed and it does it in a matter of days. And the seed can lay there for 10 years and then do it again. It's magical.
2: Hello KOYT listeners, this is Kevin Short from Enzo Electric Cooperative, and I'm here just to talk with you just a little bit about an opportunity that we have in our area with the help of the Riverside County Information Technology Department. We're giving away free refurbished computers uh, to income qualified individuals throughout our service territory. Right now we have 50 computers ready to go. We're working with KOIT Radio to make applications available for anyone that's interested in uh, obtaining a computer. So stop by the radio station, stop by the co-op, or uh, look us up online at anzoelectric.org. The Lions Club Garlic and Bacon Festival Fundraiser. Bring your best recipe for the many cook-offs. Saturday, May 25th at the Lions Gym Cannafield. That's 39551 Kirby Road. There will be garlic and bacon cook-offs, contests and prizes, vendors, a kid zone, music, raffles and more. Garlic or bacon? The cook-off categories are soup or salad, appetizer, main course meat, main course pasta and desserts. It's $5 per entry. Enter one or all categories. Send an email to Anza Valley Lions Club at gmail.com for a cookoff form and any questions that you might have. The Kids Zone will have all sorts of activities. Bring the kiddos for the Kids Zone for face painting, balloon animals, the petting zoo, pony rides, a bouncy house, dunk tank, games, and more. Reserve vendor spots now. Vendors only, any size space will be
0: $10 until May 18th. After May 18th, vendor spots will be $15. Entering the cook-off? Cook-off participants will get your vendor spot for only $5. Come on down for something different and something fun
2: for all ages. For more information about the Garlic and Bacon Festival, donations for raffle prizes, becoming a vendor, or volunteering at the event, Mimi can be reached at phone number 760 Six three seven nine one seven three. The website is Anza Valley Email to Anza Valley Lions Club at gmail.com The Garlic and Bacon Festival Saturday May twenty fifth.
0: Coyote Radio. Welcome back to Pika with Annika. Well, you're right. I was out uh, last weekend, and I'm seeing wildflowers that in my 10 years living up here, I hadn't seen before. Out, out in uh, meadow areas, they're just popping up, and it's like, well, I haven't seen this before here. So they've been waiting to grow.
1: Well, the old ranchers told me every five or six years you'd break even. And then the weatherman said, well, that was an El Nino, uh, and that's why we would have five or six-year droughts. But then we started controlling the weather, and that extended droughts to decades. And so that's why we forgot what this magic can do under certain conditions of continued moisture, and increased temperatures after freezing. The poppy will not sprout unless it freezes. And we've had a lot of winters here where we've not had the freezing temperatures.
0: Uh, are you talking the, the poppy Californi-
2: seeds? Or yes, are you talking the California the, poppy the seed. Perennial the perennial
1: seed? Root. Well, the seed, the, the native California poppy seed that covers the mountains for miles with orange, that seed has to freeze and if it's moist when it freezes and stays dormant, it's the same with fruit trees. They need three weeks of dormancy for them to go into a phase that encourages this inner growth that then becomes an incredible Magic like the flowers, the trees are doing it too. It's just, um, it's amazing.
0: Should I be putting my poppy seeds in the freezer for three weeks before uh, I sow them? Three or four days would do. Okay.
1: Yeah, in little plastic packets so they stay dry. Yeah. That would work. That helps. Three or four days is okay. all it takes to help them sprout. So after learning a lot of these tricks um, in the garden with vegetables and fruit and herbs. Um and bent over, I needed to get away from the garden. And uh, uh, within a short walking distance after a quick bike ride or pickup truck, I was on a trail. And it's it's really a wonderful combination for us to learn how to live, not just survive off the land, but to live. That's what the homesteading ethics was about, was to prove up that the land would not only support you and your animals, but that you could help your neighbors who couldn't, so that your community could grow. Today, we've built up barriers and walls Even before we move in, the surveyor has defined the corners, hopefully. Although one of my early jobs here was to let the neighbor know they've done a beautiful landscaping job for their neighbor. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, So uh, fences go up, and the deer and coyotes and the other wildlife have to back off this checkerboard corridors. We've even fenced out and blocked off the natural trails that started the community by Juan Batista de Anza. It's now a vehicle trail. It's not a hiking or riding trail. So a new organization here, Anza uh, Area Trail
0: Town,
1: Town is Official and a project that I believe will follow natural water drainage corridors that were redefined here in February and line them with trees where the waters will help us out in the early years to get them going as they did on their own. Not a lot of effort involved.
0: So uh, what type of trees do you suggest that... I would say
1: incense cedars. They're excellent for wildlife and bird sanctuaries uh, once the trees are 14 years old. And when pine trees get that old, they start producing pine cones. So a 14-year-old planting can in the right conditions start to propagate itself. I live in a 47-year-old forest that I planted and I can't keep up with it. It's producing so much seed and sprouts this year that my hobby is gonna be forced into business again and I'm retired, but the seeds do sprout. And it's my obligation to take advantage. I used to have to go out, off the property, into the forest to find the seeds. Now I can do it at home. I see, so I'm even more. That is responsible. retirement. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as retirement if you stay in a place long enough.
0: So thinking back to the trail and planting trees along the trails—that's fine and dandy. You dig a hole, insert plant, walk away. Doesn't this plant need care in the meantime? You-
1: Yes, uh, because we've killed off um, a good percentage of the snakes that are the natural predator to the gopher, the pocket gopher, I don't believe one can plant in the ground without protection for at least the first year or two. So a gopher basket? Uh, the wire baskets are almost essential um, because the, within a year or two there will probably be a dry spell and if you're putting water there, those gophers will find it and they'll try to get to it. But after a year or two, the roots get down below two feet where gophers generally don't go. So your success rate increases after that. But yes, during the first year or two, it takes a commitment. You know, just like a, a newborn mother is breastfeeding, it's a commitment that's required in for success. And like I say, even within the first few days, a nip or a, a drought or a rock or something falling on this sprout can miss and deform the trunk for life. It's how There's it works. an image. Yeah. yeah. I have one tree that grew out of a crevice, out of, the, out of a hole, desperate to reach the light and had a six inch wiggly stem and it grew right through a piece of redwood bark which I had to very carefully peel apart on either side so that I didn't whack and injure this delicate newborn and then get it planted a little deeper in the pot of topsoil and then protect it with sticks and rocks and twigs to hold it upright, along with the others, and it made it. Fantastic! <laughs> and I'll Success. remember when that tree grows with this curved trunk. I'll remember what I did was I saved its life.
0: And yeah. you performed bonsai. Yes, in this Japanese technique. Well, the
1: birds perform bonsai, uh, okay. and we can too if we nip the root. Mm-hmm. The tap root is essential that it is not cut. That is the. That's where all the macorazae signals are sent through the hair roots to the plant so that the plant knows to go for that moisture and nutrients or not to go there. They've already determined that this signaling is an inner networking and how some trees are compatible with others and their root systems grow together like a cedar and a pine. That's why it's very essential to stay with natives. They have already taught, and you sent me a wonderful article about how the birds, through the sense of smell, know which plants to heal themselves before they go on into the next day. They may not know uh, intellectually, but they know intuitively which plants nibble on, just like our dogs will eat grass if they can because the canned meat was too rich. Uh, So the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom teach us, and just through observation we're forced into an involvement and contribution in our gardens. And after a month of working in a full moon and a surge of growth, it's time to take a walk and go on a hike and observe again what nature has been teaching us all along if we just look.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of excited by what you were saying about go plant a tree and and I'm thinking here that maybe there's a project for the fall where we could actually hike, plant some trees and find some dedicated people who would, you know, commit to to watering maybe once a week, uh, so walking that trail once a week and, and tending exactly. to our, to our seedlings. Yep, and um, that's all you it know, takes. Ansa area trail town and the high country conservancy. Nice. I think I can see a project coming together here,
1: and I do believe we might might just might get some support from our own community electric co op. Is it tonight, or I guess the 24th, we get to discuss and hear about a wild...
0: uh, A wildfire mitigation. mitigation. Yeah, that's next week.
1: And that always comes up when we're talking about planting. I uh, have learned through landscaping, it's quite important to keep the evergreens and pines to your north and the deciduous to your south so that in the winter we have sunlight um, and in the summertime those deciduous provide shade, you can plant your yard and property to actually create a much more efficient ecosystem that is compatible with the cold winds and the extreme triple-digit summers. Um, My house is 33 years old and seldom gets above the mid 80s even when the temperatures are 112 because the pine forest and cedars provide shade and protection from the heat and those trees not only absorb but reflect the heat and therefore living under and in those trees gives me 12 degrees less temperatures for the summer and also because pines are recyclable provide firewood for the winter that's what sustainability (laughs) means (laughs) of course and uh, I love building my soils as much as I love planting and growing um, because it keeps me grounded into the earth is actually uh, advantageous to take your shoes off and stand on your compost pile
2: you to absorb
1: that. vitamins A and yeah. C that we now discover are in the soils that because in our 60 years we've been wearing latex and leather and wool and all this other material that have prevented that so building soils is really important to do it barefoot if you've got it set up and you don't, you know, poke your toes with a shovel head.
0: Okay. So so talking about making your compost then. So obviously we're challenged here because we don't have like the grass clippings. Uh, we don't have the green waste to add to to our piles. So how do you how do you prepare your compost? Well,
1: you can start with straw. Oat straw has seed and will reproduce and um, a flake, a two, three-inch flake around a new planted fruit tree will will allow that tree to drink maybe twice as much or more water. Fifty percent of the water that we give our trees in our garden evaporates when the temperatures go over 90. So drip systems, too, if laid on the ground, and because they're black and don't drain all the water if those are turned on in the day that hot water can come out the drip and and really do havoc Uh, it's actually boiling hot water will kill most plants and weeds so drip systems are limited to before or after the day heat Um, you can't bury them or the gophers will eat them so soft plastic is the least expensive way to distribute water, but in the essential way to get water where it's needed is just in the planning to do it before it needs it. Just like the old rule of thumb when you're on the trail hiking is you drink before you're thirsty.
0: That's good advice.
1: And it's the same is true with the trees. Now planting and going to the extra effort of going down two and three feet with a good mulch and material that holds moisture will provide twice the nutrients and maybe three times the water. And those mycorrhizae will send the signal for the tree to go down deep right away. And that's the trick. That's essential for success in the first year or two. You can have a wind and 118 degrees like we've had here recently and those natives survive. They adapt. It's like the manzanitas. They are very large here in the area. Some of them are 30 feet with two-foot trunks. You can't find manzanitas like that in the Sierras. They're all little shrubs. But what the manzanita has learned to do to survive is that they use their leaves as cups level at night to gather the moisture accumulating on their leaves and into their leaf. And then they drink that water by sending it down the stem to the trunk. Now, in a drought, they'll do that in the daytime. But if if they're dried out and it's hot and sunny, those leaves aren't capturing sun, the plant rotates them 90 degrees so that they don't absorb sunlight and grow because they know they can't grow. They don't have enough water. And the green bark, the life force, comes up on the north sides of the woody structure people see the wood as firewood but it's also the structure on which a new growth will come and our manzanitas are the stately treasures of its species in our neighborhoods and those must be protected they don't grow like this anywhere else the problem with manzanitas is they can be crushed by snow but when those branches fall and the trunks break open the branches fall onto the ground and they root out of the branch and spread. And also, of course, birds will eat the seeds. I've seen a lot of clusters of manzanita berries in the scat from coyotes on the trails. Uh, the outer layers of the manzanita berry, there's two types. There's a sticky berry and then there's the red red berry. And only the outer layer, and particularly that cambium layer in under it, uh, is the nutritional part but most of the birds and coyotes would just eat the whole thing and uh, again they're absorbing that nutrients from the outer layer most fruit is, is just an outer layer protecting the seed so uh, the process begins in that the bird shits the seed already coated with fertilizer and increases the chance of its sprouting and growing, uh, or as kicking the scat off the trail as well. So <laughs>
0: encourage the, the wild birds to come and eat, basically, yes. is what you're saying. starts
1: with a tree, and uh-huh. a cedar tree, a pine, something that holds its foliage in its lower ends um, is the best choices, and staying with the natives. Even the juniper tams that can grow up six feet, evergreens, uh, foliage, um, there's a book sitting here of woody plants of the southwest that, uh, if you have questions about, that you want to stay native, I will look up and give you the answers to encourage this. We have done this already with, um, a community garden down at the museum, and also, Uh, a local effort at growing the very types of wildflowers uh, that the migrating butterflies prefer, uh, such as milkweeds and others, that will grow quite readily in your garden. And then you'll get the chance to see the migrating butterflies. Uh, They were forced to take a four or five day rest in their migration on my manzanitas, but they've been flowering since January with all the moisture from before and after the rains in February. Um, They're still migrating. And they'll fly right over or through any wall I know.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) It's definitely any windshield.
1: I I do understand, of course, that there is uh, people up in arms about building the border wall through a a butterfly migration area that they breed in. So I think part of the design is to allow for that.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fica with Annika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt.com. 971.org and put Feek out in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.